You know, you couldn't wait for Thanksgiving to get over so that the tree could go up and the presents could go under. And if you were like me, you would shake them and unwrap them when no one was looking. Can you remember the toys that were really hot when you were a kid? Like you were so wishing would be under that tree. Shout them out. Cabbage patch. I mean, long, long lines, and people paid millions of dollars, like the Elmo, yes. What else? What, Barbie? Baby dolls? Oh, Barbie. See, now I, wanted, I was more of a baby doll person. I liked the ones that ate and then actually eliminated. <laughs> that was before I was a mother, yes. Um, what, else did, what else did we have? Easy Oh, oh, you are after my own heart. I never got one of those either. I never got anything that plugged in. What's that? What else? Chatty Cathy. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so growing up as a kid in the 70s, um, ours were Uno, Rubik's Cube, Simon, Hungry Hungry Hippo, never had that either, Connect Force, still big, Star Wars action figures. Seriously, are they going to live into eternity? Are we going to have Star Wars action figures in heaven? I think they're just going to go on and on. Magna Doodle, Nerf Balls, um, these were all top of the list as I was a kid, but top of my list, many years running, was the Creepy Crawler Bug Maker. Did anybody have the Creepy Crawler Bug Maker? And I got a slide. Okay, I am so green with envy. Um, if you still have it, I'll buy it from you. I'll pay as much as anyone paid for a cabbage patch. So again, I wanted this so badly. So if you're not familiar, it's a machine with metal trays. You can see the metal trays up there. Um, and they're in the shape of bugs. And there's this powdery dust that you put in the metal trays. And then you plug the machine in, and then it would melt the dust and create these rubber bugs. Now, what in the world you did with rubber bugs? I have no idea, because I never got to have one. But I wanted bugs, and I wanted them bad. <laughs> My parents, wisely, again, never gave me anything that plugged in. But one day, I was playing at a friend's house. And when I opened up her, ca her play cabinet, there it was. Top. Creepy crawler bug maker. Oh, can we play with the creeper crawler bug maker? No. No. And why? Because the cord is torn in half. Hmm. I was so determined to make bugs that I opened the box to solve the problem. No problem. I'll just plug one end in. I'll fill the trays. I'll then just hold it together just long enough. <laughs> just long enough to make the bugs. Right? I mean, come on, I'm seven. It, it works, right? So sure enough, the cord was torn apart. I did what I had planned. And kaboom. I was electrocuted. Black face, black hands, hair singed, the black wall the way up the wall of her playroom. Yes, and I ran home. <laughs> This childhood trauma has come to mind many times as I think about the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and an illustration of my own understanding of what it means to connect to an all-powerful God. For many years, I shared a little bit of my story. I thought it was impossible to connect to a holy God. I'm too sinful. I'm too messed up. There is no way he would ever want to connect with me. The, to the cord is severed for all eternity. For years after I became a Christian, I thought he might want to connect with me but too explosive. If I connect with him, he's going to ask me to do something dangerous, something that's going to blacken my face and blacken the wall, right? But when it comes to connecting to the person of God, I think we likely in this room fall into one of these three categories. Some of us believe that being intimately connected to a holy God is absolutely impossible. 
The cord is severed permanently. He is too holy and we are too messed up. We are too sinful. He's so heavenly, he's so beyond us. He cannot or would not want to connect to us personally. There may be some of us in this room, second, who believe that God wants to connect to us personally, but we're afraid. He's going to take me to a disease mission field. He's going to ask me to have 25 children. He's going to, he is going to ask me to do something really crazy, like maybe forgive somebody I don't want to forgive, and I will get burned. Third, though, many of us know we can be connected to God, and we've even had times where we've experienced that connection, the camp highs, or the valley sorrows and lows, where we've sensed God's power and we've sensed his presence, but we think this is only momentary, special, every couple years maybe we'll get a little dish of something. But it can't be continual. It cannot be ongoing. And although there are some truths to these beliefs, God is holy and we are separated from him. And although it is true that he will ask of us things that seem dangerous, and, there, and it is true that we can connect to him in special times. These are, only cur- these are only incomplete truths. They're not the complete truth. A way has been made for us to be personally connected to a holy God. It is a powerful connection, but we need not fear being burned. And whatever connection we've had in the past, whatever transforming work God has done in us, it is intended to be a continual, ongoing work of his spirit. So looking to the account of Mary Magdalene at the tomb of Jesus in John 20, we find Mary's own journey from a current truth of what it means to connect to God to a complete truth. We watch Mary move from colliding, which we've already seen in our study, to today we're going to see her cling so that she can learn through Jesus, she can now be connected to a continuous supply of God's love and power. So if you're able, will you stand to read John 20, 1 through 17, follow along. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look, he saw the linen cloths lying there but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb And as she went, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, 
For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Father, powerful words when your Spirit illuminates them, when your Spirit teaches us and guides us into all the truth that is here. And we pray that you would do that for us today, that you would give us spiritual attention that you would awaken us by your Holy Spirit, that we might move from our current truth of what it means to connect you to a more complete truth this very day. For your glory and our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, saying yes to standing near the tomb, as we saw with Mary, is to move from colliding with Jesus to clinging with Jesus to being intimately connected to God's continuous supply of love and power through Jesus. So as Jesus met Mary at the empty tomb, so through his word, I believe his spirit seeks to meet each one of us today, to move us from our current truth to a complete truth by looking again at Mary's journey of clinging, of, um, excuse me, colliding, clinging, and connecting. So beginning with colliding, Mary's current truth. She has collided with Jesus, the Messiah, and he is gone. We talked about this last week, how devastating for her. Mary's collision was so profound that she shows amazing bravery as a first century woman to go in the dark to a place of death, near a place of execution. Politically, she's taking a risk. Seen by the Romans, they might believe that she's trying to steal the body, and that's a capital offense. Religiously, she's, take, she's very brave. It is, it is ceremonially unclean to be near dead bodies. But emotionally, I think this is the biggest courage. courage. In Luke 8, 2, we know that Jesus rescued Mary from seven demons. And seven demons is an idiom meaning for she was completely possessed. It wasn't that she literally had seven demons. It, it's a word used in scripture for completion. She was completely and totally possessed by evil. And the only other person we have in scripture described this way is also in Luke 8. And his name is Legion, meaning millions of demons or hundreds of demons, right? And do you remember what the scriptures teach about Legion? He was naked, slashing himself, and where did he live? In the tombs. So we don't know, scripture does not tell us that Mary lived in the tombs, but Mary knew this is where the demon possessed belong. This is their only option. And this is where she goes. I can't even imagine the courage it took. Will this be my life again? Jesus had collided into Mary's life, freeing her from demonic oppression, turning her world upside down, and her loyalty is fixed. Dallas Willard, when we see Jesus as he is, we must turn away or else shamelessly adore him. And have we not seen that in all of the women we've studied? But I would say when we see Jesus as he is risen, we must turn away or courageously adore him. But Mary's courageous response was not based on the promise to rise. It was an incomplete truth that needed to be completed. Mary expected Jesus to be in the tomb on that third day. And why did Mary, seeing the empty tomb, believe his body was stolen? In the culture at this time, stealing bodies was actually quite common. So it was, a, it was a logical explanation. But why didn't the disciples and the women, seeing the grave clothes in the place where Jesus had laid, seeing the face cloth 
folded and set aside, why did they not think of resurrection? Jesus had spoken of it. There was no place in their culture, if you remember from Lazarus, there was no place in their culture or their faith for a resurrection like this. The Jews believed in a corporate last day resurrection. First of all, they didn't, didn't anticipate a Messiah who would be crucified. But also in terms of resurrection, they definitely didn't expect a resurrection except on the last day. Mary, John, Peter, they all had to be convinced, just like you and me. And I find that incredibly encouraging. Do you find that encouraging? This powerful moment of conviction and convincing is about to happen to Mary, turning in her grief, and her grief will turn to clinging. Mary's truth as she approached that tomb is, I have to find Jesus. You must be a gardener. Tell me where he is. Even with angels in front of her and Jesus breathing down her neck, she's about to turn around and try to find his dead body. I don't know if, if that's a picture for you, but that's a picture for me. Even with angels in front of her and Jesus bringing, breathing down her neck, she's about to walk away and go find his dead body. It isn't until Jesus says her name, Mary, that she knows it's him. Jesus comes to her in love and gentleness. He comes in a way that she knows and she recognizes. Was it how he said it? Was it the way he said it when he freed her of those demons the first, when he first met her? How someone says your name says so much about how they feel about you. I used to like to flip out my children and say, Olivia Ann Crone, come into the kitchen. And then she'd come in the kitchen and I'd say, I love you. <laughs> I'll love you forever. And she's like, Mom. But isn't it true? The way we say someone's name, they, you either know you're in trouble. It, yesterday, I was out with my husband and somebody called him Jeffrey and he said, I, I, don't say that. I feel like I'm in trouble when you call me Jeffrey. His name is Jeff. The way Jesus says our name, and unlike me, he does not play tricks with our names. He speaks our names to draw us near to him, not to burn us. Jesus speaks her name as he had so, had so many times before. But he says it this time to assure her, your rescue is secure. The demons are not returning. I have defeated evil. And I have defeated sin. Your sin. I am alive. Raising Jesus, God cashed the check of our payment for sin. He defeated evil, and he defeated the evil that is behind suffering. Jesus then takes Mary from her current truth to a complete truth. Your relationship with me is about to radically change, and it will blow you away in every good sense of the word. Struggling to move from her current truth to a complete truth, Mary clings. She clings to Jesus. She clings to a relationship she has known wanting desperately to just pick up where they left off, whatever conversation they were having potentially before that fateful night. Nothing is going to take away her Jesus again. This is the meaning of clinging. It is to grasp. It is to put him in a vice grip. We can only imagine how his appearance brought comfort, 
joy, hope, maybe a few questions. But Jesus says no to Mary's clinging. There is a radical change in me, Mary, and consequently in our relationship. And I, you can only imagine how the no had to sting, how it had to hurt, how it had to be confusing. Clinging. Mary cannot comprehend anything better than holding on to her Savior. But Jesus explains something better is coming, a connection to me that is greater than clinging. John 20, 17 to 18, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Again, her current truth, Jesus is saying to her, you don't want to cling on to me. You don't want to vice grip me. You don't want to be glued to me. And Mary is saying, yes, I do. I know better what I want, Jesus. Ooh, that hurts, doesn't it? And this isn't about touching because we know from Matthew's account, he let the other women touch him. And we know later in John, he commands Thomas to touch him. This isn't about touching, it's about belief. And this is really powerful if we think about it. Mary believes. Jesus knows she believes. She doesn't need to hang on. She has faith. Her recognition is complete, and so is her freedom from suffering and sin. Mary need not panic. She need not grasp onto Jesus. She doesn't need to keep him from leaving again. Jesus is telling her, you don't want just this current truth of hanging on to me. I have risen. I am alive. Yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes, you are free. And wouldn't that be enough, my sisters, to just know we're forgiven? To just know that evil and sin is conquered and will be fully conquered when Jesus returns, fully eliminated? Wouldn't that be enough? not enough for God. God says no. He wants to be connected to you and an I, I in an intimate relationship as a loving father, so much so he gave his son. No, it's not enough. Let me go, Mary. I want you to embrace a complete truth I am going back to my father, and when I leave, I will establish a new relationship between you and your father and me. You will be connected to me continually. My presence will always be with you more powerfully than it is right now. Go tell my brothers, I am going to my father, your father, your God. Now, Jesus had referred to those who believe in him as his brothers and sisters, but he had never called the disciples his brothers. This is the first time they get that title. The new community that he came to establish by colliding into individual lives was to be a family. Radical, intimate, where we are known by the one true God. And we can know him, not exhaustively, but certainly. We cannot know God exhaustively, but we can know him certainly. We can know he is real. We can experience him. Jesus returns to the Father to bring us into Trinity's family, an eternal family of perfect love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he brings us in through the power of his Spirit. 
John 16, 7, 15, 26, here's what Jesus promised. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The helper, the spirit, will remind you and explain to you all that I've taught you, like this promise to rise. And I will be with all of you at the same time, powerfully. Douglas Farrow writes, the ascended Lord is not everywhere, but he is everywhere accessible. The ascended Lord is not everywhere, but he is everywhere accessible because where he is, is the right hand of God. When I return to the Father, I will reign at God's right hand. I will be the mediating ruler, as Ephesians 1, 9, and 10 tells us, bringing all things together, putting every enemy under his foot, including all of us in this room who have gone from enemies to daughters. I will go there to pray for you, to empower you, to continually connect to your Father. Don't think spatially, Mary. Think relationally. I am going away to bring you nearer than you've ever been because the Holy Spirit collapses the distance between us and our Father. We now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will remain in my risen humanity as I intercede for you and as I rule. And I think this is the part that I'm still asking God to unfold in my own life. This is so big. Jesus has taken our humanity to where it has never been before. He bears the marks on his hands. He bears the mark on his feet. He bears the side wound. He is in a glorified human, human form, in the same form we will be. He has taken humanity to the throne of God. First, God comes down and incarnates. And now, in Jesus, humanity is at God's throne. And why is this so important? Because he is our high priest who sympathizes with everything we experience on this broken world personally. William Milligan puts it this way. He bears upon his person the marks of Calvary. He bears also in his heart the memories of Cana of Galilee, of Simon's house, where he healed Simon's mom, of the spot outside the little town of Bethany where Mary wept beside her brother's grave, and he wept with her. Of the sinful woman anointing his feet, of the woman bent with an evil spirit who he healed and stood up straight. Of Jairus' daughter rising from the dead. Of Mary being locked in demonic oppression. Your humanity is ever before me, he says to us. Your temptations, your trials, they're right there. When you fail, forgiveness is ever before the throne of God in the marks on Jesus' hands and feet. And this dispels the lie that Jesus doesn't get it or isn't in it, be it suffering or sin. This dispels the lie that we can't obey, 
This dispels the lie that we cannot trust him with our sorrows. Jesus is at the right hand of God praying for our continual connection that his power will collide into every sorrow and into every sin and make us like him, redeem it, transform us. While on earth, Mary, I can only collide at one place at a time, be it Bethany or Jerusalem or Nazareth, but now I will be everywhere. Through my spirit, I will connect with each believer at the same time. We have brothers and sisters around the world, and he has collapsed time and space. They are our family. By returning to the Father, Jesus will be made more real to Mary, ascended at the right hand of God. Jesus is more real to us right now than he was to Mary in that moment. We think that if we could touch him, if we could kiss him, if we could feel his embrace, that he would be more real. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is telling Mary he is more real now. I was thinking about this whole connection piece and the resurrection and praying through this whole idea and even the creepy crawler bug maker and like, Lord, am I, am I making too much of this? And I was praying and running and I tripped and fell. And where I fell, I found the severed cord. <laughs> like, okay, you're speaking, I think. So I tell my husband, and he says, no, I think God's telling you to fall down on that idea. <laughs> and I'd already done all my study, but then I'd listened to, to, some, to some teaching, and there was one particular pastor that actually said the same thing that the Lord had showed me. That is how real our God is. Cords in the middle of the road teaching from his word, study. He brings it all together, and it is a kiss from heaven that is greater than a physical one because it's spiritual and it changes us from the inside out. See, I know Jesus has risen. I know he has ascended. I know he's at God's right hand because nothing could explain that I'm here today. Through the ascension, we have so much more than even Mary had. The question is, are we saying yes? Are we saying yes to explosive moments of growth, those camp highs, to trust in the darkest of valleys? Are we saying yes to small currents under the surface by being faithful to sit at his feet and to study his word and to be in community and when we don't even feel like we're growing, to trust that he's doing something under the surface? Are we trusting him with the big and the small miracles? I love Josh Wilson's song, Dream Small. Have you heard this song? Simple moments change the world. Living well, loving God and others as ourselves. Tiny rocks make giants fall. Rivers turn into oceans. Dream small. We change. It may be small. But every day, God is doing a work in us. He has promised to complete it. The Spirit indwells within us, obeying the Father's will for us. Are we surrendered? Here's the complete truth. Mary understood that Jesus is on the move. And he sent her to be on the move. She was rescued from mission. Mary went to Jesus' desert, deserting disciples with Jesus' message of grace. 
brothers. He didn't send her with the message, wait till your father gets home, which was the message I gave my family when I first came to Christ. You guys are all going to hell. The message he gave them was go to your brothers. Tell them I have risen. Tell them their sins are forgiven. Tell them eternal life is secure by faith in me. But also tell them I'm returning to their father. The promise of Eden restored. The completion of paradise that is coming. See, when God created the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, our ancient parents, it was a powerful moment. Initiating for the first time a continuous love connection between Adam and Eve and their heavenly father. But the first man and woman sinned and tore that connection apart. To reconnect us to our father, Jesus went to the cross. A power-releasing, horribly isolating disconnect. He was disconnected for us. A power surge of hell. We know that any love that is torn apart, to be reconnected, there is a great cost. For those of us who've been restored to someone who has harmed us greatly, we know the cost of being reconnected. A huge sacrifice is necessary. And there was no greater tear than our tear between us and our Heavenly Father in that garden. And there was no sacrifice greater than giving his own son. Jesus absorbed the deadliest power surge of God's wrath for our sin to be poured out on his perfect sinless body. Father and son were willingly severed to reconnect us back to an intimate and continuous supply of God's love and his power. Mary moved from her current truth to a more complete truth. Her connection to her father is certain, and soon it will be continual. Mary experienced a kaboom of the heart that ignited profound courage. More courage than going to that empty tomb was the courage to leave, to let go of Jesus to let go of clinging, and to go to Jesus' brothers and proclaim their connection, to be on mission. And we are here today because of this event. Jesus used this crazy band of people, deserting disciples and previously demon-possessed women. He empowered them at Pentecost. And the only explanation for the explosive growth of Christianity reaching the shores of this world, North America, all the way to Fresno, is God's spirit empowering frail followers. Mary courageously trusted a promise. We have its fulfillment. We have its fulfillment to be on mission, to go and enlarge the family. Through the reconciliation of those who are estranged, who do know him, and through the reconciliation of those who still have not yet heard. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are a people ignited, sustained, directed by a risen, ruling, make all things new, Savior. He's doing it. Are we joining? What is our current truth? Have we, like Mary, personally collided with Jesus? 
I don't want to assume that everyone in this room has already really responded to Jesus' invitation to trust in him for the forgiveness of sins and life eternal? Have every one of us personally collided with Jesus? Have our minds and our hearts responded to the truth that Jesus is the only way our relationship to our creator, torn apart by sin, can be reconnected? 1 Corinthians 15, 21, Paul reminds us, for as by a man came death, by a man has also the resurrection of the dead. If we have collided with this truth, if we are his, how is our connection? Are we fearful? The power available to us by the spirit that indwells us is explosive. It is dynamite. But the connection is one of intimate love. Family. We are sisters to the risen Savior. We are daughters of the Almighty. Hebrews 12, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We need not fear where the connection will take us. It is only in disobedience that we truly get burned. Romans 8 reminds us nothing can separate us from the love of God. Maybe today we have experienced connection, moments where we've really known God is a personal God and he is at work changing us, but they are few and far between and we're frustrated because we're just not changing fast enough. And I know this happens for me when I cling to Jesus with my purposes in mind, my idea of how things should go, how my pain and my plans should unfold. Can you relate? When I refuse to release my grip on how he worked in the past, I don't want to let him do a new thing. You did it this way last time, Lord. Can you just keep doing it the same way? Because I know how to do that. Right? When I grip onto what, how he did in the past, what is comfortable, what is manageable, what is neat and clean, tied with a bow. I cling to my doubts, my fears, my problem solving. I cling to me. And in that, there's powerlessness. This past year... has been a season of my plans upside down. And the pain has been excruciating. But it has been a season of unbelievable power and intimacy. Undercurrents to forgive, to confess, to repent, to be humbled, to die. And I have also failed miserably. But even then, there's good news. I can run home. My sisters, Jesus is more interested in us failing well than being victorious. He is more interested in us failing well than being victorious. Do we run home and seek the forgiveness and the power to stop clinging. Jesus has collided into our lives to connect us with an intimate and continuous supply of God's love and power. He is at the right hand right now, interceding for us, even as we go now to small groups and we talk about our Jesus and we let him talk to us. And I pray that as we do, like Mary, 
we will have a kaboom of the heart. Maybe an undercurrent, maybe something explosive. But each of us would leave here with greater courage to go out and enlarge the family, either through those who need to be reconciled back to God because they're estranged and they know him, or those in our community by the thousands who have yet to hear he is risen indeed. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time of year. The anticipation of celebrating your coming to us. Oh Lord, we thank you. And we pray that we can move from your colliding into our lives, those of us who know you, that we can move through clinging and move to connection. That you would even this morning give us, by your spirit, courage to go and enlarge the family. Anticipating your return when that last enemy is under your foot. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.